0: I would like to welcome everyone to the Roxborough Roundtables. My name is Elena and I'm the Student
1: Coordinator for the Tables. Today our topic is How Do We Create Safe Campuses? And our host today will be the Arlen Specter Research Fellow Scholar Travis Douglas.
2: Hello everyone, my name is Travis Douglas. Um, thank you for having me and also thank you to the Arlen Specter Center. Um, thank you for coming today. Um, so I'll start by introducing a little bit about myself. I'm a current doctoral student in. Um, Doctorate in Strategic Leadership Program here at Jefferson on the East Falls campus. Um, And in my professional career, I also work at Rowan University. Um, At Rowan, I'm an Assistant Vice President for Residential Learning and Inclusion Programs. Um, So in that job, I um, primarily manage the campus housing system at Rowan. Um, I also supervise our Office of Social Justice, Inclusion, and Conflict Resolution. Um, And parts of my responsibility relate to uh, Title IX, and I'm also a Clery Act uh,
3: Campus Security Authority. Uh, I'm Colin Murphy. I'm a communications student. I'm Sean LaBlasia. I'm a
4: fourth-year law and society student. I'm the Dean of Students here at Thomas Jefferson University.
5: Jeffrey Berry. I'm the Director of Safety and Security at Jefferson East Falls, uh, as well as an adjunct Faculty Member in the Law and Society Program. I'm Doris. I'm the spiritual Development Coordinator here
1: at
0: Jefferson. And Megal Muir. I'm the Director of Counseling.
6: I'm Chung. I recently graduated from the Law and Society Program.
2: To the next circle, or just do the circle? No, that just begins with you. (laughs) That circle's too big. Very Very well. Well, um, I thought I would start by just making sure that um, I acknowledge um, sort of the origin of the Cleary Act. Um, It is named for Jean Cleary. Uh, She was a student at Lehigh University. Um, She was unfortunately raped and murdered at her university. Um, Her family um, took that tragedy and really turned it into action by advocating for legislation which evolved into the Clery Act Um, and um, they also found what was originally called security on campus and later that organization was renamed as the Clery Center. Uh, I think if I could I'll start with just kind of a popcorn question we'll go around real quickly and kind of get connected with what is the the purpose of the Clery law Um, and so the question that I have on the screen here for you is what would you do if you you knew you were heading into danger? We can start on either side and just go around. Kind of a quick, what comes to mind? Answer.
3: Sure. <laughs> um What would I do? Honestly, just be ready to run. <laughs> be ready to run. Okay. Anyone else?
4: Run.
1: Turn around. I'm shaking with them. Grab them. Twist them. Push it up. Break your arm.
4: Okay.
1: <laughs> My favorite move.
6: Any other thoughts? I would ask for help. I would try to seek help. Seek help, okay. I would run. Where a flying or a evaluate a situation. If you conf- confront it with force or other things, then do so. Otherwise, do run away fast. Okay, okay. Well, so um,
2: those, are, those are all you know, perfectly great ideas. And the, the real reason, the rationale behind the theory act was bringing information into public view to make sure that people would have the opportunity to make informed decisions about their own safety. Uh, it really facilitates the reporting of information into colleges and universities, and universities in turn then providing that information in a public way so that individuals can actually do something to, to make good decisions about what they will do to protect themselves. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that the Cleric Act actually accomplishes that. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but the history of the law really begins, as I said, um, with Gene uh, Cleary's murder. Um, the Clery family advocated for legislation which was first passed at the state level here in Pennsylvania um, and then eventually at the federal level. Um, and it's, it's since been amended um, several times and different uh, facets of the law have been added in uh, over the, over the years as it has been amended. It was named in honor of Jean Clery and became known as the Clery Act in 1998. Um, its most recent uh, amendments were with the Higher Education Opportunity Act in. 2008, and then the Violence Against Women Act in 2013. The big um, components. so this, this slide that I have up here is a, really an oversimplification of the Clery Act. It is a, a bit of a complicated law, but I thought it would be helpful to give at least an overview of some of the major components of the law. Um, the first big piece of that is that the law requires colleges and universities uh, that receive federal funding to, uh, to gather data for, through, from a variety of different ways. Um, but primarily through their campus security authorities. Uh, So if someone is in a role on their campus where they fall under the campus security authority definition, then they receive information related to a Clery Act crime. They're obligated to report that information so that it can be included in the campus statistics. Uh, Another major piece of the law is um, publication of annual security reports, um, which is inclusive of crime statistics, fire statistics, um, and quite a few different policies that universities are required to establish and publish and make available. Um, another big component is education. Colleges and universities are required to uh, facilitate educational programming on their campuses, um, in particular to help uh, raise awareness about and to prevent dating violence, domestic violence, um, and sexual assault and stalking. Um, and then the, the final piece that I'll mention is really the, the focus area for my research, which is around what are known as timely warnings and emergency notifications. Um, there are some slight differences between what those two things are. A timely warning is not exactly the same thing as an emergency notification, um, but those two things really fit well together and they're uh, an important part of the law. Um, colleges and universities must issue alerts um, to the campus community when they become aware of crimes that could represent an ongoing threat uh, or emergency notifications during any kind of a significant campus emergency um, that could pose some kind of immediate threat um, to health and safety of people on the campus. So, so that's a, as I said, an oversimplification, but a, a good general framework for understanding what are the requirements of the Clery Act. Here's an example that I thought might be a good, good one to share um, of, of an emergency notification that was sent out at Ohio State University. Um, so in 2016, some of you may have seen this on the news when it took place. There was an individual who um, pulled a fire alarm. So he went into an academic building and pulled the fire alarm because he, he, he understood that that would cause people to evacuate the building and go outside, which they did. Um, he then drove a car into that crowd and got out of the car, exited the vehicle with a machete and you know, he was attacking people. So obviously a really terrifying situation and something that if it were occurring, um, people would want to be warned about. Um, so the um, OSU, Public Safety um, you know, Organization. They sent out what they're putting up here as a Buckeye Alert. This is the screenshots of the text messages that they shared. Um, alerting people as they were learning things. You know, They used the best information they had available to them in that moment to push something out so that people could know what to do. Starting with, you know, there's an active shooter. They thought that there was a shooter. It wasn't a shooting, but that was the best information they had in that moment. They said run, hide, fight, and gave a location. Uh, watts Hall 19th and College, so so people could locate where is this incident occurring. Um, and as the incident progressed, they updated that information with additional tweets, and I assume they also probably used other methods of communication, things like email, text messages, um, those types of messages. Um, so that's a good example of one, one instance where a campus did that. Um, a little bit about why, someone asked me earlier, why am I interested in this topic? So I, I mentioned that I work at Rowan University. Um, One of my roles is I'm a deputy Title IX coordinator, so I work with issues of sexual misconduct on our campus. Um, I also oversee the campus housing system, uh, and I'm a a campus security authority, so I'm one of those individuals that if someone reports a crime to me, I'm obligated to report that information for our crime reporting. So in 2016, we had a sexual assault that was reported at the university, and um, it ended up being covered in uh, Philadelphia and the region's news media. Um, and after this story came out and the text message that was sent out, we, we issued a timely warning. Uh, we shared information about that incident. Yes? Was
1: that timely warning issued after the media had already picked up the story or
2: before? No. The, we issued the timely warning and because we media, issued it, the, the media took, it, took an interest in it. So
1: does Roman right. have a policy of allegations? Because I know Jefferson University, and this is part of my capstone project, they do not notify us of sexual assault or sexual misconduct on campus because they're or it's an allegation. So they can't, they can't notify us about it. I've spoken with several teachers that made a big stink about this because that just doesn't seem right. Because the people that do get notified are the, and this sounds going to sound very specific, but it's just because I have friends on sports teams, So I point to Sean, who's like the president of all of that. They notify the coaches and the coaches then talk to their sports players, and Carla, who's um, my co-founder of our nonprofit, has also said the same thing, so it's just I'm just curious if Rowan's different. Does it need to be? How do you go about that? Is it just an allegation, or do you go ahead and notify the campus any section kind of allegation or otherwise?
2: So, Clery, Clery Act would not say that you should necessarily notify the entire campus of every allegation. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I go a little bit further, there are some reasons why that might might not always be wise to do.
1: And we're so we're keeping the uh, anonymity of the people, obviously, like we get notified of robberies on campus. No one, I mean, we all know who got robbed because, like, we're all friends with him, but, like, they're not going to be like, oh, by the way, this one kid in your trade class got robbed at gunpoint, down and Henry. Like, that's not how the emails go. It's always, a student was robbed. So I just, I'm not asking for, like, uh, Jay, Carlo was assaulted by, like, Sean. Like, we just want, a student was assaulted. It's being looked into. Yeah. And we don't even get that. And our university well, hasn't even really given... Uh, notifications of racial biases that happen on campus, and it wasn't until a few teachers went to our administration and made a big stink after the Cheeto was elected that they should do something, because his election was very volatile, So, and that's when it happened. Okay.
2: Well, I, I'm not sure I'm familiar with the specifics of these cases, but what Clery Act addresses is the, is the idea of warning the campus about an incident if it represents an ongoing threat. So if I take it into a kind of a generic example, if there were a sexual assault reported, and um, say there was an assailant, someone who who committed sexual violence, and that attacker was not known, they may still be at large, law enforcement hasn't been able to arrest them, um, especially maybe if there was some kind of a pattern of violence, or some reason why the campus thought that people in a particular area, or members of the campus community were especially vulnerable, In other words, it's it's possible or likely that this same type of crime could happen again. That's what triggers a warning. Not every sexual assault report fits that type of situation where there's an ongoing threat. So for instance, another common type of case might be a a domestic violence incident between two individuals who both know one another. There could be an evaluation of a report between the two of those, and Campus officials could reasonably say, we don't think that just because there was an incident between these two individuals that this represents a threat to the broader campus community. It's an isolated incident. We know who the individuals are. We're addressing it through our discipline process. So there's there's a reason why it might not always fit under the requirements of the Clery Act.
7: That would be be my take. Geography based. The
2: theory is geography based.
5: And um, again, sometimes word spreads around campus about an incident that occurred with someone that you know. And if that, if and when that report gets to us in public safety, we then evaluate that first of all, geography, the other thing, was a crime committed. And again, was it a bias-related crime or a hate crime? There are there's two different designations of those things. And in the case where it's a, a bias-related crime, certainly there's a conversation to be had about notifying people about a bias-related crime. That's not part of a Cleary requirement. The Clery requirement is if it is a hate crime, then it would be evaluated for the title warning notice. Not that that information can't be shared, That's not necessarily a public Department of Public Safety um, Cleary Act issue. That would be more of a community climate issue that um, would evaluate that process. But for the Cleary Act and sexual assault, every case that the Department of Safety and Security is made aware of is evaluated for uh, a timely warning if it is a a Cleary crime.
7: Is there a sense that these acts create a kind of an exclusion or inclusion? In other words, do you just follow the letter of the act, or can you report more, where they don't want you to report ones that don't fit directly under the query
5: act? Sure, it's, the, it's actually a different, um, uh, it's a different notice that you would put out and not a clear act notification, because whenever you take, um, Clearly, is enforced very strictly, and um, all the different, if you read the Penn State report, any of the reports that are out there, it is uh, enforced very strictly, so a lot of people go by a strict adherence to follow the letter of the law because of that. Um, And if you were to expand that law on your own, then you expand it for every situation, whether it's necessary or not. And timely warning is supposed to be a case-by-case evaluation. Unfortunately, it has not been enforced that way in Department of Education audits. It's been enforced to a letter of the law, and often the uh, audits are then used to show an expansion of the law. Mm-hmm. In other words, they the, the findings of the audits are then used to base further audits on, not just what the intentions of the
8: original Act was. Um, I understand what you're saying that according to the wording of the Act. If there's no threat going forward, then you don't have to be warned if it's singular to this situation. But let's say hypothetically there's a fraternity. And this fraternity is you're getting in every week, you're getting in another report, another report, another report does a pattern, either in a fraternity or sorority, uh, or in a particular part of campus, or whatever it may be, does that pattern then con- uh,
2: make up an ongoing thread? I would expect that a pattern, if, if a campus is seeing something, whether it's in a uh, fraternity or sorority, or even in some other kind of venue, if you can put together and connect dots that show some kind of a pattern, that, that indicates a potential for ongoing risk. So yeah, I think it would probably trigger a need for a timely of warning of some kind. But it's always going to be specific to what what is the situation that's occurring and how do you evaluate what what that actual situation is.
6: I think I think I, I can understand why we're enforcing this pilot it's, it's rather straightforward. That time, you don't want to send out some certain information because I think all these notifications and lit system has the potential of causing a campus panic if we're overly using it. Um, <clears throat> however, what I'm curious is, um, with the chance of a campus-wide panic happens, um, what would be some of your concern uh, in terms of that? Selecting, do you have an like, active uh, selection process for um, what you will require? entire campus, or why you will not?
2: Well, it, it's interesting you bring up the idea of a panic. I mean, Cleary Act is, is addressing situations, and there's two pieces to this. I said there's emergency notifications, in which case panic might be maybe not exactly the best word for it, but kind of the right thing to do. You need to evacuate an area, get away from a dangerous situation. You know, that might be the right thing to provoke is we need to immediately get people into action, right? Um, timely warnings typically don't apply in those cases. Timely warnings are a little more a, a generalized kind of thing. Um, I do think that people who are drafting these are careful and thoughtful about when is the appropriate time to issue them, what are the appropriate things to say, how can I make the content of the message that I'm going to push out something that will be useful to people in a way that they can do something valuable with it. Um, so as not to provoke panic, but to keep people well informed.
6: But So uh, when you push these notifications out, um, they also include an instruction, can I assume that? They, they may, if an instruction is the appropriate thing to, to push out. To push out. But how do, you, how do you prevent, potentially, if, say, a group on campus or a certain individual on campus after receiving this notification would overreact? Any other
2: thoughts?
7: Just
6: a chance? (laughs) Can we take it?
7: I don't know. I I thought Travis is actually empirically investigating this. I mean, this is, he started to talk about it, right? That uh, the intent behind it, you know, obviously good intent, but often the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Other aspects of the law have been shown to have some problems. So Travis is actually investigating some of the actual effects of it and some of the, the potential problems. It might be worth it if you could get a little bit into, into what you're actually doing. Yeah, I'll, let
2: me show you the next one. This is really kind of where I wanted to jump to. And you know, yours is one one example, but there are other kinds of issues, too. that The law has, I think, great intentions. It's very well, um, well informed in terms of why would they create the law. It makes a lot of sense for that family why they would advocate for this type of law. Um, and it makes a lot of sense that the legislature passed this law at the state level, why, why we got the federal legislation. Sometimes in practice, when we pass new legislation and we gain some experience over time implementing it, we start to learn from the experience of actually trying to do something, and we find that there may be kinks in the problem, there are kinks in the process. Um, so in, around timely warnings and, and emergency notifications, but the timely warnings, and specifically, especially around issues of sexual violence, um, they, they have brought up some some, some counterarguments, um, some of those are examples. These are some stories about some. Survivors sometimes feel like um, the information that may be shared could expose their private situation in a way that was unwelcome. They didn't necessarily want their private information to be broadcast if they are a survivor of a sexual assault. Um, if, for instance, they identify this incident happened on this particular night, Friday night, at a fraternity house, and right? we've seen a pattern there, that person may realize well, then everyone's going to know that I reported that because that's me, that story is about me. Um, so they may fear retaliation from the members of the fraternity, why did you report us, and so those kinds of issues have come up on some college campuses. And that may stop them from actually reporting something. And so there's a worry the of that, a effect, yeah. So these are some of the issues that um, you know, as, as Steve pointed out. Um, the research that I'm, I'm hoping to do would help us to get more data about um, what's the prevalence of these kinds of problematic implications to what is a really good and purposeful law, but does it have some unintended consequences? And are there ways that we could improve our practice around how we decide when to issue those messages and what we choose to include in the messages that could, could make the quality of the messages better?
4: I have another question, is there, you know, do you worry about like over mourning, you know, sort of like boy who cried wolf, you get too many warnings, people start saying, that's another one, we'll ignore it. Uh, is that a
2: concern? I, I'm sure that colleges <coughs> and administrators do worry about that. The law doesn't give you discretion to decide um, not to issue messages because of that concern. Well, I would think that would be one of the reasons why they're following the letter to law, so they don't avoid that problem. Or because I don't you know, have the emails in, in school. There's nobody what, what, It's not just the letter
5: of the law, and as a parent, um, I have two children that went to two different schools. Uh, Both of them did their emergency notifications a little bit differently. One put out an emergency notification for everything that happened in the county, the whole county. Um, I actually ended up, despite my position and my experience, I dropped both of them. I didn't even sign up for it. I was opted into those emergency notifications and I saw as a parent and felt they didn't really have a useful factor for as often as I was getting notifications of things that didn't have anything to do with with their campus and I ended up opting out of notifications on both of those campuses. My wife worked at a local campus where she did the same thing because so many uh, notices were sent out. That's our worst case scenario. When it comes to emergency notification, here we saw a jump of eleven hundred people participating when it was an opt uh, opt in. We went into an opt out where all student information was automatically added <coughs> in. Now we're maintaining about thirty eight hundred users of it. So absolutely, you know, we can look at it at any given time with the different products that are out there how many people are opting in, how many people are opting out, and it would be interesting to look at after X number of notices being sent out, how many people drop For some of these schools that just constantly use their emergency
8: notification systems. Can I the students here, because so a lot of you go to Manioc, because um, that's the local place. To would you want to know what's going on in Manioc? Would you want notifications at a certain bar or With the students?
1: Yeah, yeah I would want to know what type of university I'm going to. And if they support their students, whether or not it happens on campus, We're still part of their student body. So, like, I'm just flabbergasted at this whole idea that, like, oh, like, all emails are the same. Like, yeah, we get a lot of emails, but it's still, it's different. And you don't have to tell the entire story, like, oh, this is what happened to a student. They were taken here. They were done that. But let us know that sexual content is happening. Don't just tell, the like, the baseball players and be like, guys, you did it again. Clean up your act. Because that's literally what some of the coaches say. And, like, that's disgusting to me. That I would go to a campus where teachers had to fight to get them to even notify us about racial biases that happened. Where teachers have to literally yell at their face until they're red to get the administration to do anything about telling us about sexual violence or anything like that. But we get, like, notified if they have to shoot a deer on campus or if there's a freaking robbery down the road. Like, every five seconds, which I get it. I love knowing about it. Thank you. I know not to walk alone. But, like, it just, it just... Makes me flabbergasted. I'm truly, truly flabbergasted. I would want to know if someone gets raped at a bar, maniac, and they're part of the Jefferson University community. We have a right to know. We're a university. I'm not paying forty thousand dollars to go to a university that's just going to leave you in the lurch as soon as you need their help. Can I, I at the risk of,
0: I, I appreciate your passion on this issue, and I, I'm not a member of this campus community. But um, one of the, the question I heard was, would the Student community like to be informed about all clearing crimes that happen in Manion. And so, to your point, just if it involves a in student body, then yes. But like, if it's just a random person, then
8: like, oh, if it's a student, yeah, the student,
0: involved. yes. okay. So that's very helpful because I think it's very hard, you know, as a campus administrator in a, in a different university, it's very hard to figure out what information the students want to know you know we have local bars as well Mm -hmm. the question becomes they're not on my campus but what information should we be reporting for your for your help i think to go back to what travis said on the last um slide about the victim blaming blaming the triggering i mean again from the counseling perspective i hear students regularly say that fear reporting because of being outed because we are a smaller campus i think that's one of the fears for a lot of victims so i think it's real and also has to be acknowledged how how we how we how we inform our community, how we keep our campus safe, and how we keep victims safe. I, I think it's like probably goes back to Travis. I mean, a little bit more what you're going to say about how we do that. Um, but clearly, everyone in here is pretty passionate about it, which is great.
1: Yeah, but that, so that but that fear is just like societally influenced, and we need to address mm-hmm. that fear. So I think by having a campus. That's so open and no nonsense with sexual misconduct will help make victims feel better. I'm a victim of sexual assault, and I didn't tell anybody, and it I it tore me apart for years. And like, the fact that like I felt like I couldn't tell anybody, that's awful. That is a terrible feeling because a victim, because of this, because of that. I like our project is so important to me, and like it just like I just think that you we need to get rid of that stereotype. We need to get rid of that stigma. Because that stigma is what's preventing so much of it. And we start by addressing the root of it. We start by not making it a dirty little secret. We start by not shaming victims into feeling like it needs to be a dirty little secret. And victims become survivors. And survivors need to learn that they can thrive. They need to know that. And we need to do that by addressing the root of it. And I think that universities that keep it hush-hush and only tell who they think that need to know, that just perpetuate. A uh, campus of victim blaming and a campus of fear, and that's not a campus I want to be part of.
9: Yeah, and to uh, go ahead. Uh, uh, this is Colin. Um, one of the issues with, like, especially saying like that we should be notified of every assault that happens, there is a an issue there with like glamorizing, like looking at those stories and um, fixating on them in a way because it's dramatic, it's controversial. Um, and I don't think that even with the Clery Act, it's it's meant to address ongoing threats, right? So, right. so with what you're saying, uh, it's definitely important that we address this culturally. But I'm wondering how the Clery Act would uh, is impeding or is not being enforced properly to have that type of discussion being addressed. My
1: thing is how do you, how, like I'm going back to what Professor Lane said. How do you
9: identify an ongoing threat?
1: Like when women are taught that an ongoing threat for you is walking alone at night, or drinking too much, or wearing a certain shirt. Like how do you How do you determine what is an ongoing threat? Like Professor Lane gave a beautiful hypothetical about a fraternity. And we have examples all across campus that I'm sure Sean can speak to as the like, as the president of the whatever sports thing you do. Um, that like happened with like sports teams. Like, it's just, like, like there is a consistent pattern that we don't get to hear about unless you go digging for it. And it just think so, like, I understand, like, what the clear Act is, and, like, we're using the Clery Act to inform people about a petition that we're doing. And Professor Baird actually opened up, a, like, cleared up a lot of things for me about the, ge- the, the the geography part of it. Like, it's very ge- geographical. But we can use the clear Act to help, like, address and inform other, like, stuff that we implement on our own campus. Like, it could be used to inform sure. I'm just, I'm Well,
8: I'm interested in what Travis, Travis has actually looked into this issue. So what have you found
2: on this? Well, what you're pointing out There's, I think, quite a few layers to unpack to what, what you're bringing up. Um, as you mentioned, so the Clery Act doesn't require reporting of, through a timely warning of every incident that occurs. The, the Clery Act is really contemplating trying to give people information that it is actionable something that they can do something with. And simply knowing about every case that occurs isn't isn't always appropriate because the other side to to part of what you're saying very well about um, not stigmatizing survivors of sexual assault and not not allowing there to be a a, a kind of veil of secrecy around those types of incidents is, is the other piece is respecting privacy and the sensitivity that that some individuals who are the victims of crimes um, are not prepared to have their information publicly aired, and are not not at the point in their, you know, they're dealing with that incident that they want that information to be publicly exposed. Uh, empowering survivors of sexual assault to take ownership and take control over that process and make those decisions for themselves is something that I hold as a, as also an equally important part of the puzzle. Um, so if we impose, through regulations or administrative decisions, um, things that will take away the ability of survivors to, to have that choice and to make those kinds of choices for themselves, that could become problematic. That's yeah, and I'm
1: not saying take, like, if, if a survivor specifically comes to like, hey, this is happening, please don't notify the campus, then that's, that's, their, that's their right. But if, you have, if, if nothing is said, then, like, you, there, is a, there is a duty to notify us what happens. I absolutely like we talk about discretion in law enforcement class all the time, and I believe discretion should be used. But like don't but by not telling us about anything, I think that that's worse. Like
3: so I think it's also important just to like you know, say here is that there is a report that goes out every year on the Clery Act. So it's public it's sent to every student on campus, so I believe to faculty and staff as well. Um, and you can find it anytime and it details every Cleary if that's that Happen on campus for that year. Um, you can find you can find them that go back uh, every year, going back from all the way back to 2012. I think I saw. Um, so you, it does get reported. It just doesn't get a campus blast because it's the act just for ongoing threats that are actionable, not acts that have already occurred. And to be fair, in many of our positions on campus we find out about them after it happens, not as it is currently happening. Uh, so it's no longer action but it is reported and it is it is the information is dispersed to the campus community.
8: And
5: one of the things when I bring up the Clery Act um, in some ways as what we can and can't do, it's even though we have this federal law, um, the local police are not required to provide us with statistics. If somebody went out and reported an incident to the local police, we try and maintain relationships, we try and work closely with them The Clery Act gives us some muscle to get uh, reports from the police about what happens. But I I talk about the Clery Act and the fact that it helps us get more information from people. It can compel them to tell us what happens in a geographic area. Right now, there's nothing that would compel uh, a local police department to necessarily share information with us from outside that area where we could potentially be more of a help to communities that are serving.
1: So if like a Jefferson University student, because I just I just want to like clarify if tend like I'm class, if a Jefferson University student like told a police officer, like when they were off campus like, oh this is happening and they were like, oh I go to Jefferson University, that police officer wouldn't have to tell you that like what happened. Right. So they would have to doubly report it to you as well if they wanted the university to be involved. Yes,
8: to ensure
5: that we knew about it. In fact we sometimes usually it's around much more right. minor issues. But we have sometimes have students on campus who call the police, and the police show up on campus, and we see them there, and we show up too to find out what's happening. And sometimes that's because the student was trying to avoid letting us know about it for fear that everybody was going to find out about it. So we actually try and battle that and obviously have more control over it on campus, but those situations do happen sometimes. Um, In that case, we just get in on the reporting as it's being. Beliefs. And again, it's not to violate anybody's confidence. It's not to make an issue public. It's solely to fulfill our responsibility
9: under the clear act. What are um, experiences uh, on this campus that have led to requiring a notification, emergency notification, or timely warning? Have there been any? I, mean, I,
2: know, like I know as a Jefferson student, I've seen several over the couple of years that I've been here. Most of them have related. Not just sexual violence issues, but uh, I think a couple of instances of robberies that have occurred, where someone has been approached on Henry Avenue or in a parking garage, and, and I think those that I've seen, Jefferson has been very good about putting out the information. They've been very to the point about what what occurred, and then very informative in terms of the kinds of you know self awareness things that I could do to improve my odds of being safe on the campus. And those are the ones that I, I recall. We, we also had a forcible fondling
5: incident that was reported back in September. Again, that was reported to us in a timely way. It was evaluated and a notice was put out. Some other things that you may see on the, the statistics that come out, in fact, we've had it happen where we've had people report incidents to us that did not even happen. It shows up on our statistics because the year it's reported, it is reported as a statistic, but sometimes people come back well after the fact to, you know, report things that have happened. So that's sometimes why you'll see a number on that annual report and there wasn't a corresponding timely warning for it. It all depends on when it was reported because, again, that timely warning is the timely piece of, of potentially preventing another crime. You know, so you have to look at a report after the fact that was made to us what kind of value is it to report that out when the incident actually occurred
8: earlier? Jeff, why was the decision made in that case on the parliament to report that one out, as long as that is an ongoing risk?
5: Um, It was, like I said, it was immediately reported to us and just the characteristics of what happened, and again, to get into the characteristics of the whole thing. Again, that drills down to a lot of what you may find people aren't interested in, and that is the potential for a chilling effect, the potential to expose who it happened to. Um, I would say it was the the specific characteristics of that incident um, and, and the time that it was reported to us, again, making it right there for the time of warning, but getting into all those characteristics could just lead to um, narrowing the focus of, of the individuals involved and, and potentially, you know, making it available for people to know who that was. And I really, you know, that's something that I don't want to do is to give out any kind of personally
8: identifiable information of a victim. If you get back to Trump, this is what the table Well,
2: <laughs> well this, this is a great conversation. I think you know, part of... Um, Part of what I have an interest in learning from the conversation is, how might we improve the quality of the information that goes out in the message? The law law derives us to when we have to issue one. Well, what things should we share? What would be helpful to know? Um, Considering some of these issues and layers of not wanting to be victim-oriented, I think another issue that has come up on on some campuses is uh, crime reports that... Outside even the realm of sexual violence, but dealing with robbery and those kinds of things, um, can sometimes include suspect descriptions that, um, without a lot of information, could also include race as a as a characteristic. Does that end up in reinforcing racial stereotypes about people who commit crime being of certain racial groups? And you know, there's some debate about how we can improve the content of the messages. It's sort of clear when we should issue them, but how do we make sure that when we do, it should. The message information doesn't cause harm, but yields the expected benefit. I'd be, I'd be really curious about people's thoughts, not just about when should we issue them, but what would you want to know? What should be shared when we actually do issue at a timely warning of, of some
7: kind?
1: So, I mean, one thing that's just coming to mind right now is when, with the slide with the picture, if you knew you were heading into danger, what would you do, was run or get help or whatever. Um, as far as the warnings, I think it sounds to me like there's a difference between wanting to know what what the climate is on campus and needing to know when I'm walking into danger. So I think just generally knowing danger is in that direction, um, I think, you know, we can go into all the cultural things, but I think that's the most important thing. I don't know if that, um, I, I might wanna, it might be interesting to me or it might impact me, you know, as a woman or, you know, some other capacity to know, oh, there there are these things happening on campus, but I may not need that information. is what I'm hearing. The distinguish you know, the distinction is what I'm starting to hear. Is that accurate?
4: We need to distinguish between the two. So there's Clery Act, which is a federally mandated reporting, and then there's also an emergency notification like an active shooting. Correct. Or bombing or anything person driving the car. So one is trying to notify people of runaway stay away, the other one is trying to notify people that there is a problem in an area that the persons have not been identified and potentially pose a threat to the community. So one's right in the heat of the moment versus the other one is reporting after an incident has already taken place. Uh, So it's with the emergency notification, you need to be really careful because you don't want to uh, incite panic in people, but have to let you need to hide Right, you're heading
1: towards
4: some danger yeah. and, and having lived through that several times uh, in boston you have to be really careful because you truly incite people into you know, people have anxieties phobias the things that it does to people it is uh, it, it can be really actually more harmful than the potential threat that it is, is facing them so I, I actually applaud law enforcement sometimes to figure out how do you tell people that there is a danger going on right at the moment. To the other one, the timely notice. You do <clears throat> you have the victim, you have the possible person that they might be known who's involved in the incident, and how do you ensure that a community knows something without a predisposition to, towards guilt or shaming somebody or blaming because that can happen um, fraternities not fraternities, groups of people coming together make judgments on other people. Um, Fraternities just happen to be very, they're self-identified. But you can put any group of people, a residence hall, um, a community, any any way you can identify that. So it's it's a very difficult balance that Cleary knows that that Jeff had to send out back in August. Just remember I was driving when we were talking about it. It's... Literally, it's, it's almost painstaking making sure that he wrote it the right way so that the community knows what they need to know without uh, re-victimizing the victims, um, without giving away too much personal information, but enough that people know that there was an issue and you need to be concerned without also inciting
7: panic in that particular case also. Travis? I want to go back to the title, which is uh, Safe Campus. So uh, if I understand properly, the idea of a safe campus is an outcome of a lot of things that happen on the campus. And the Clery Act is supposed to increase the chances that the campus is safe. It's not simply telling what's happening. It's not running away or being prepared. It's turning the campus into something that's better. So how are the data used? when the reporting goes on, what happens at the end of the year, the end of two years, the comparison between this campus and another campus, a conversation between this campus and the areas surrounding the campus by the police or other groups that gather information. How does that come back? How is it applied to have impact here? That's a very broad question, but it's really about the organization making itself safer rather than just telling stories about what's happening. Is there any knowledge about that? Yeah,
2: there there is. There's been some research already uh, done regarding the statistics and annual security report side of the law. So that's that's what you're looking to, is the gathering of this data and the way that it's shared and how it's put to use. Uh, Campuses are required to publish their annual data um, and share that in their annual security report. So prospective students, say I'm a student who's considering, should I go and attend Jefferson, or should I go and enroll at some other institution, I have the opportunity to go on their website, find that information, and take a look at it. And the, the assumption, I think, driving the law is that I will then make an informed decision and believe that I will be better off, all things considered, going to this university or that university, and safety being one of those important considerations. I'm also looking at the reputation of the school, the academic program that I could enroll in, Um, But if I'm concerned about my safety and I see that there's data that shows this campus seems to be located in an area where there's a whole lot of a particular type of crime that I would want to avoid and this other campus is more safe, that's the notion behind the law. In in the research that's been done about that, um, it's not so clear that that data is as helpful as maybe it was intended to be. Um, Most parents and students don't really review that in, in great detail. Um, the percentage that do is, is fairly you know, relatively small, um, and those that do review it, it's not so clear that they're making decisions in that say, in that way I just described, where they're really choosing this university over another, and it's very hard to make that comparison. How do I compare a university that's in Center City, um, that has an academic program that I'm considering, to, say, Rowan University, which is out in a more suburban area? They're They're... It's you know, fruit and something else. It's, they're not the same kind of place. How can you really say that the crime data that's going to be at one institution is comparable directly to another? So it's it's, cha- it's a challenging thing to know what to do with it. Can,
0: and, I, yeah. can I follow up on that? So here's so a great question. And this is Melissa, by the way. I'm sorry, I missed the ground rules exactly. Um, so, At our university, we um, are trying to figure out ways in which we can better use the Clery data, because frankly, the Clery report is not an entirely useful report for any realistic view of whether a campus is safe or not. Uh, There's some reasons for that. The inclusion of off-campus programs that are international programs where people stop by for a week. There are a number of bizarre requirements under the law, just from a regulatory perspective, that make the data less useful than Real-time crimes data. And so what we're trying to do is look at quarterly crime views of our campus today and where we are like last quarter and the quarter before and the year prior. So it's a good starting point, but from a campus comparison perspective and from a crimes perspective, you gotta go way beyond the clear data to figure out if you're helping to make your campus safer. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion on that particular issue. So
8: Charles, how can we get information following up on this seven? that can give us realistic information on what's really going on on campus. If I'm a parent looking, is my daughter safe? Are those issues that Megan brought up? Are those prevalent on that campus? Are they not? How can we fix the law or get better information and make more informed decisions? So
2: I would start with saying if you're you're the type of parent or or a prospective student that is interested in that, the Clery data is good data to start with, to, to look at. You will get a sense of What's happening on that campus? You'll probably find that it's very similar to lots of other schools that you're looking at that are comparable. Um, but you should also ask good questions. Um, when you're considering a campus, you should talk with their campus safety office. You should talk with their dean students. You, you should talk with uh, the housing staff that work on the campus. Uh, talk with the students who are giving the tour. Um, talk with your orientation leader during summer orientation. They can really all give you insight into the campus culture um, the landscape that you're, you're navigating when you're on that campus. Um, and those add a lot of layers and dimensions beyond statistics. Statistics are helpful, but you really want to understand what's the, what's the area around the campus like? How do people get from here to there? What are the ways that they can do that that's most safe? Um, what, are the, what are the places that people feel safe on campus? What are the areas to avoid? That stuff's not gonna show up very easily in a statistical you know, page of information. Uh, it's really a, a much more layered and nuanced conversation. To know the campus, to know the community, and understand the area that you're going to be you know, taking classes is classes and living on campus, walking around, visiting restaurants. All of those are much more complex than statistics, statistics
9: can ever reveal.
7: There's also um, I just had a location to walk across campus, and there's boxes every what is it 50 oh, feet or something like yeah. right yeah. that. I mean, my goodness, you know, that, that, I don't know if that shows up in statistics, but as a uh, person, myself or as a parent, that would give me a lot of solace to know that that's available and there's somebody that's gonna respond when I push that red button. So, I mean, that I, I don't know, does that go into decision-making? It would certainly hope so. Uh, well, blue iPhones, I'm calling them that, I don't
2: know if they're blue on the campus. Mm-hmm.
7: But but um, yeah, know,
2: that's a police. It's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> group, lots that of universities, universities have these, and, and there's always an interest in having more of them and having them in useful locations, where they're high traffic or where people might be vulnerable and need to get assistance quickly.
9: Um, they're a very
2: useful tool. They don't really fall under the Clery Act. Um, they're not required under the Clery Act, but they are a very useful tool to give people a direct connection to their campus security. And I do think that they're a useful feature if you're looking at a campus and they don't have features like that then that's an important question to ask them. How do people you know, feel safe on this campus if, if they don't have that kind of access to, to directly contact their public safety on that campus? And it, it is good that we have those here at Jefferson and we have them at my campus at Rowan. They are a really useful tool. Yeah, quick, two, two quick questions. What kinds of questions this
3: camp, uh, are you asking in your survey of the faculty staff? And I um, just want to know quickly what did all that's
7: a good point. It's in his house. Oh, time's up.
2: So uh, I'll, I'll take the first question first. So the research that I'm doing, and I think we we'll probably have to wrap up. To fair, the research that I'm doing right now is um, a survey that uh, I hope to send out to people who are practitioners in this area that are the kinds of folks that actually have to either make the decision to issue timely warnings. Um, or also I really definitely hope to reach folks like counselors who talk to survivors about what their experience was after a timely warning message has gone out because I would really like to get a holistic view from people who work with implementation of how does it work in practice and how effective is it? Do they evaluate this on their campuses? What have they learned from those evaluations? Uh, What are the areas that are working well? What are the areas that could could be improved? Uh, Everything from the methods of distributing these types of messages to um, how do they decide what information to write in their messages. Um, last semester, as part of a research course, um, I did a pilot of that, and the information was actually really useful um, to help me kind of improve that survey. I hope to be finishing that this semester, and that's that's the research that I'm doing that um, is supported with the fellowship from the Art Inspector Center. Um, and to, to circle back to your, your last question, um, Senator Spector is important to this issue because he was the sponsor of the legislation uh, at the federal level. So the, the Cleary family, they were Philadelphia-based. Uh, Lehigh University is here in Pennsylvania. Um, so Senator Spector was a really great, um, great advocate for the family and for the legislation as it's made, it way, made its way through the process. And even after its passage, uh, he continued to take great interest in making sure that the law would um, continue to be effective, that not just that something got done and was put on the books um, to to chalk up something in terms of legislation being passed, but that it actually had real-world impact. And he he followed through on those commitments uh, through oversight hearings when he uh, was continuing his work in the Senate. Um, There was a really interesting oversight hearing a number of years ago that he chaired, uh, but it was based here in Philadelphia, where he brought together the presidents of many of the universities in Philadelphia from Drexel and uh, I think Temple was represented there. Um, there were federal officials from the Justice Department, the Department of Education, um, and he, he, you know, really kind of pressed them on how do colleges and universities make sure that this law is effective? Um, how do we make sure that the data is getting reported accurately and getting collected in a proactive way? Um, so se- the senator was very important to that work, and um, he took the Clery Act and its effectiveness I think very seriously, but the record reflects portrait of all inspector that's looking at you
8: right now actually smiling.
4: Oh good at you a for, could I just I need to clarify one thing that was said earlier and I'm not to be contentious but to be more fair to the, the faculty and administration. Last year specifically there were instances that took place on this campus that had consequences for the entire campus. The faculty were concerned, but they didn't have to yell. They didn't, they joined us in a conversation. They pointed out how they thought things could be better improved on communication. Student leaders provided it because things can always get better. The policy we have today, three years from now, will probably have to be redone again because situations have changed. But I think the thing to know is our faculty here, thankfully, are very engaged faculty, but they don't have to get angry. Um, they just speak their mind and they speak it openly without concern, and, which is a great thing. Uh, and I think as long as we have that kind of community, then we're heading towards what we really need, what Clery was really trying to do, with all these laws are trying to do, which was change the environments to where they are safe and people don't have to worry. We're never going to be utopia, but I think that's what the process is. So I just want to make sure, faculty didn't have to, to get angry at us to, to be able to make change, but to really be the kind of community we are, which is. To keep their mind and show their so didn't need to take
2: away from it. I think if I if I know correctly we're we are at the end of our time. Um, I, I think this was a great conversation. I really appreciate every um, everyone coming and uh, participating today. There's a lot of um, I learned a lot from from everything you all had to say and I appreciate you taking time to So Thanks, we need to resolve that that's <laughs> what